This is the Beyond Adversity Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 132, with author, entrepreneur, and speaker, Aaron McCormick, the author of Unbounded Journey to Your Within. Your joy is higher. Your energy and energy attracts its own kind. So you'd be surprised the kinds of doors that open and opportunities that come your way when you are not caught up in the rhetoric or the external binder of blindly just chasing money. Just just whoever whoever wants to coach me, coach me, please. Or, you know, oh, that's how you make a bunch of fine. I'll just do it. You go down that path and it's the opposite effect. You're, yes. you're chasing your own tail. You don't really get there. Hi, this is Kevin Murphy, author of The Three Rooms, where I help people change your thoughts to change your life. You're connected with Dr. Brad Miller, helping you overcome adversity to find your promised life. Hello, good people, and welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. This is the podcast, which is all about you and helping you to navigate adverse life conditions in your life and to come out to a better place, a place of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We have lots of great resources to help you do that by having conversation with authors and leaders and teachers. Lots of episodes of the podcast at drbradmiller.com, teaching and leadership that we do there, which can help you to beat adversity in your life, including a resource we have for you there, a free resource the four-minute way to frame your day for success. Head on over to uh, drbradmiller.com to get that resource. Today, we have a great author with us who is here to speak into our life and to help, again, help us to navigate adverse conditions. He was raised by a single mom on the south side of Chicago, and he rose from difficult circumstances to become one of the world's leading experts in technology and business transformation and sales, earning millions of dollars and receiving many awards and distinctions in the business world. But he was not completely fulfilled in his life, and he had constraints in his life that he called binders, things that bound him up. And it included dealing with the ramifications of growing up in a fundamentalist Christian cult, which put deep, deep uh, resentful uh, constraints on his life with his friends and his family, and he had to deal with that. In order to deal with that, he started a process where he began to ask good questions. Questions like, is this the right thing for me to do? Am I fulfilled in my life? And what is my unique purpose? And how do I maximize that? And in that process, he found his pure essence came from going within himself. And he found a process in order to come out to have great significance in his life and in the areas of love and relationships and money and work and his spiritual development. And he is here today to teach those things to us. His name is Aaron McCormick. You can find him at AaronMcCormick.com. The name of his book is Unbounded Journey to Your Within. And he is our guest today here on Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Meller. Let's get into that conversation right now. Our author today, Aaron McCormick, he 
grew up in a very difficult circumstance, which we will share, talk to him about in a minute. Then he rose into success in the corporate ranks as a salesperson without the benefits of some advantages some other folks had, earning a, a great deal of money and, and rising up to corporate ranks. But he found it wasn't quite enough for him to have true success and fulfillment in his life. And he knew that he had to break free of what was binding him up and to move forward with something else that is more fulfilling for him. That's what we're going to talk about today. The name of his book is Unbounded Journey to Your Within. Our author guest today is Aaron McCormick. Aaron, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Brad. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Aaron, the, uh, the name of your book is Unbounded journey to your within. And so that tells me if you became unbounded, then prior to that, something bound you up. So what was it, some of the things that bound you up or what were some of the challenges that you faced? I'd like to hear a little bit about your story. Sure. Well, the the title unbounded, a lot of people might assume that unbounded is the wrong form of unbound, but unbounded actually means to be limitless. Whereas unbound is exactly as you mentioned, to lose a specific set of binding or, or a binding. Um, and what I've realized throughout all of our lives is that we all absorb a bunch of binders, which I consider things that are foreign to our actual essence, if you will. In other words, if you think about when you were born, when I was born, all of us, we have a certain energy, a personality, a spirit, a disposition that nobody ever taught us. But then through the years, it's, it starts to morph a bit based upon the energy in our household, our, our family uh, heritage, expectations of our sex, our race, the area we live in, uh, TV, pop culture, just all sorts of things. And we gradually suppress or divert from things that really are what we prefer, what bring us joy, what make us tick. And so we kind of become an offshoot of our original selves. So the concept of unbounded is where we conscientiously go through not just our, our life up to this point, uh, various um, experiences, uh, um, expectations, ideals, things that we think are ours, but they may not really be. And we also look at our present uh, from relationships to career, you name it, and when we gradually be honest with ourselves and we find our higher self by pursuing things that are actually not in conflict. We, we find our real joy. So that's the premise of the book. And it covers everything from self, really connecting our own dots. It's a book about the reader, really. It takes you through your own life. Um, and then also relationships, romantic, familial, friends, and of course, career, which is where we spend most of our time. That's, that's the book. Uh, as far as me, I mean, I was raised on the south side of Chicago. I'm one of four children. I'm black. Um, my, uh, my parents divorced when I was four, so I didn't really have a, a father figure, although I had older brothers. And um, my life is just full of paradigm busting. And I didn't really try to do this. I just um, tended to recognize that conflict inside of myself was greater than a peer not liking me or peers not liking me or now, don't get me wrong. I, I, at one point, I was very much succumbed to my environment, as we all do. And often we stay on that path. But I guess at some point, I, I gradually began to learn the voice in my head 
the energy in my soul, energy meaning the unspoken thing, it's not always a word or voice, it's just a feeling you don't agree with. It's not quite congruent, that kind of thing. That was a lot more painful to deal with than uh, appeasing these external forces, family, environment, whatever the case may be. And then afterwards, dealing with that voice nagging or that thing saying that that's not quite what you agree with or what you feel or think. And so I began to live a lot more intrinsically. And, um, and it's been uh, an, an incredible journey. There'll be a novel to follow this one too, because this book is not specifically about my life, although there's some, some things I talk about uh, to, to jog other people's own experiences. It's really about the reader. Sure. Well, you mentioned about how this internal conflict that you had and how you had to make some sort of a, a transition from the uh, external to the intrinsic somewhere along the line. And uh, I would imagine there may have been a seminal moment or a time when you hit a wall or you came to something that was, <clears throat> was a, a, a life-changing moment. Is there such a thing for you? And if so, let's talk about it a little bit. There were actually a, a few key ones. And I think for most of us, we'll, we'll notice that. Sometimes there's one big one that, that is a catalyst for everything else. But I can just think back to, for example, being in high school where, um, you know, every, every, most of the people, the examples around me, were either blue collar workers, South South Chicago, you, you had a great job if you were doing something blue collar, consistent pay, or you might've been uh, an insurance agent or something like this, which some made really good money. It's a great profession, uh, but it didn't require a college degree. And I didn't have that option for several reasons. Uh, one of which is I was raised in a very high controlling uh, Christian religious cult, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they applied the Bible to the extreme where Jesus just had a simple trade, as we know, as a carpenter. He focused on God's kingdom. He wasn't trying to become something prominent, although with a perfect mind and body, he could have been the richest man to ever live. So anyway, the point is I, I did. So you had a value that. system imposed upon you that was antithetical to, to having certain types of success, of, uh, success and breakthroughs. Yes. And in that situation, uh, I had a love of cars. In fact, to date, I've had over 100 cars. But at the time, I'm thinking, hey, you know, maybe I'll be a mechanic. Um, I started trying to work on cars with my uncle in the cold winters of Chicago, banged my knuckles a few times, had filthy hands, and realized, okay, maybe I'll drive them and enjoy them. I'm not going to quite work on them. And then, I, then I decided, okay, I'll, I'll do computer programming. I thought technology is the way of the future, um, and I have a pretty analytical mind, started trying to do that in high school, uh, created some apps and stuff. It was very tedious, and as you can tell, I've, I now have a book, and I've been in sales. I'm apparently a very interpersonal kind of human, right? I like to interact sure. with people. Uh, and, and I realized, you know, maybe as a sophomore or junior, I either need to be teaching, training, selling, or if I did go to college, a lawyer or a psychologist, people is my space. And so I adapted myself to that path. And I said, what, what if I married um, selling or dealing with people with technology? My own macro decision was, or, or expectation was that technology would eventually run the planet. And so unbeknownst to, uh, not unbeknownst, I'll say, um, against everything else around me, big brothers, uncles, uh, other male figures, I went down that path. And I was a bit ostracized at the thought of being in corporate America, trying to get into technology. The thought was, oh, you'll be be kind of owned. You know, look at us. We run 
you know, financial markets or we are insurance agents. We work, we spend our own time. It's all ours and we make as much money as we want. You'll have an eight to five. Little did I know that that decision, um, which was kind of frowned upon quite a bit and scoffed at, would lead me down a path where in my low 20s, I worked from home. I kept my own schedule, had a six-figure salary, uh, plus benefits. I traveled the world, booked flights at my leisure, did power lunches, created important presentations and proposals, and transformed business in the process. So it, it was so far and away beyond and on a different level than the types of problems that the people around me were solving, and uh, um, both in terms of challenging myself, in terms of income, freedom, global travel, all that. And that was purely from just an internal uh, awareness that I don't quite want to do something that's so transactional valuable yes helping people with insurance that's very valuable we all need it it's a, it's a good career but I have a very complex mind and I like to break things down and solve bigger problems and so organizational behavior and psychology and the complexity of big enterprise software sales somehow was a perfect fit but at the time I made that decision Brad at 16 17 I had no idea the world of, of complex software sales or that this kind of income could be made or that it would you know kick all these boxes for me, but that's an yeah. example. And it might be safe to go point. before you go too far. You had several barriers, uh, I assume, to get there. I mean, you said you didn't have a college education, and I don't know if, I don't know if there are racial barriers or whatever, or social economic or whatever. But it seemed like you had to overcome a few things to have success in that career. Without question, and and the thing is, I didn't. I guess I didn't overly internalize those barriers. I mean, I wasn't clueless that race is an issue in this country or that most people have a college degree to make a great deal of income. Um, I knew that was the case, all, not all, but a lot of my peers in high school all had college plans and all the counselors were pushing that. And I just knew that was not in my, in my future. But I guess deep down, I've always felt that everything was merit-based. Call it naivety, call it a real connection to the soul. Because as I mentioned earlier, we actually are bigger than these bodies and we are unlimited, our higher selves are. The issue is what does our conscious mind believe? Therein lies the barriers. And since I really felt that um, whatever I wanted to do, I could be great at it, whatever it is. If I just say that's what I want, that's what's going to be. Um, where that came from, not quite sure, but I know we all have that capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of what I've created, done this book for is to help people go through their own experiences, good and bad, their own aptitudes, things that have been visible since they were infants, toddlers. There's exercises that take you through talking to family members and just understanding some of the essence of what you are in your original form before binders were consumed. And then you go through all the different periods of life where those might have morphed and changed and circumstances where you suppress, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you break up your book into the self-actualization of stuff, uh, things we're talking about here now and then your career uh, aspirations and then your personal relationships, but winding through the, 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 uh, the themes that that wind through everything you're talking about here are things that are of the soul or of the, of the intrinsic of the mind. There are things like joy and empathy. And I would just like for you to take, talk a little bit about, about this uh, understanding of the power that comes from going to these places, a place greater than yourself I talk about either your spiritual life or your mindfulness, things of this nature. Speak to the power beyond yourself, how that's part of your <laughs> transformation. 
Yeah, the you know the um, it's interesting how you say the power beyond yourself, and I know exactly what you mean. And and ironically, it is the power of your true self. But to your precise point, um, it's not consciously yourself. Like we consciously view ourselves to be the physical stature, the mm-hmm. educational level, the experiential, the uh, all the things that we know to be the case. But there's so much that we don't know. It's you know I kind of liken the journey you know, or the two options of what animates us. We're either intrinsically animated or extrinsically. And if we're really far along the path, we begin to integrate the two and we do both very well. But usually we have a very strong bias. Almost every human, by the time they're 12 or some, somewhere around that age, are highly biased one way or the other. They're either actuated by the mind primarily or the heart. And the mind is a composition of things that we've learned since birth. Uh, and that has shaped us. That's that's the that's the path that is usually less fulfilling. It may be extrinsically fulfilling, meaning you may become popular, doing things that you didn't agree with, or you may become rich, or you whatever those things. But those are not the real you. And at some point, a correction ends up getting made. Whether you're an elderly person and you realize it then, uh, after you've lost a lot of matters of the heart family, relationships, you know, you sold your soul, so to speak, whatever. Um, so that's one path. The other path, or the other way to be animated is more intrinsically, where you are in touch with what really feels right to you. And that is your higher self. I also think of it like this, Brad. In the moment we're born, um, as I mentioned, that animation thing, that thing we have, who knows how many millennia that thing is, right? I mean, we don't, we don't know the real makeup of our connection with source whether we get integrated directly into this infinite source of energy and we actually are god but dispersed out whether we are part of his creation and, and part of you know little individual cells that that reflect his his infiniteness if you will mm-hmm. who knows but the point is we are already more than what we started as so to the extent that we are able to um be aware of and catch the friction when it happens. Friction meaning the external stimuli that chase at what's already in us. If we overly train ourselves to fold each time that friction happens and follow the external stimuli, we have that many more things to learn to strip away to get back to the original uh, essence. And some of us are wired very early on to, to resist that friction, that internal conflict and stay congruent with ourselves Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that happen to be very, very successful, not in money, although that usually too, but super fulfilled because they didn't deviate too far. And, and none of them, there's no better or worse because I believe we all have chosen our journey and, and we all learn from everything. Again, if we're actually infinite, this is one of many different learnings, this particular life that we're in. So there is no better. It's just how do we connect our own dots to understand you know, why and how we are as we are. And if we're fulfilled where we are, then no adjustments needed. If, if there's adjustments needed, uh, it, you, you will know them from your own self, from your own compass, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, what I'm hearing you say here is that this is a process that's, and it's an ever-changing process. And you mentioned in your writing about 
human ascension. And I think that's kind of where we're touching on right here now. To me, that means trying to arise or get better. But uh, integrate with me this term you use, human ascension, with what you're talking about here about the, uh, about the intrinsic values being alignment with your external uh, situation. That's a great question. I think um, human ascension is very widely misunderstood, especially by very by people who have chosen in this life to be more uh, brain centered or more ego. Not, I don't mean that as in I'm I'm all that. I mean the mind. Uh, those are the very literal and, and uh, physical. Uh, that's all that matters. Um, they tend to think of ascension as some woo-woo, esoteric, uh, you know, fake, dreamy sort of stuff, but it's extremely scientific. For example, if you were to wire us up to a biofeedback machine, think of it as an EKG, mm-hmm. maybe there are probes around the wrist, around the ankles, maybe around the head, and this machine is sending signals into the body and it's measuring output coming back. Well, if they, if anyone were to show you images of your pet dog or your child or your favorite hobby, your vibrational uh, measurement or, or energy goes up, it rises. On the other hand, if they show you something that scares you, uh, something that you know is, is depressing, as you mentioned earlier, it goes low. So when we talk about ascension, that basically means your vibrational essence being as high as it can be. And the way for your energy to be high is for you to be fulfilled in areas of joy and lack of conflict, that sort of thing. So we've all entered lives or created lives where we're full of, they're filled with things that actually do not raise our vibrational essence. We go to jobs we dread. We hang out with people that chafe at us, but we're supposed to like them because of some, you know, superimposed reason. We're in relationships that are misaligned. We don't know how to get them on track. Um, so we live these lower vibra- low, lower vibe existences. And ascension is when we stop being bullied by our own uh, self-absorbed uh, requirements and fears that stop us from adapting. And so when you finally start to connect and just do you, so to speak, that's the simplest way to put it, uh, but you do it with full confidence knowing that even when the outside physical things seem to be going to be, you know, going to go terribly because you're living your truth, when life has really taught you that it only goes better when you live your truth, and so you do it without the fear, the absence of the fear causes you to attract the very things that you might have always wanted. Mm-hmm. But you have to really not have the fear anymore because you've learned your lessons. That's why connecting the dots, I keep saying, is so important. Because it's not just somebody blabbing off to you, motivational speech, do this, do this, do this. There's some things you will only learn from your soul. There's, in fact, most things. Um, we're all just kind of stimuli for each other. But you got to find a way to break free by your own example, by your mm-hmm. own teachings of yourself, because you, you've seen how it's all played out. You know, this... Um... What you're speaking about here, you know, finding your truth, finding your center, and it's described throughout history, you know, people seeking to have a, a sense of uh, peace, 
and uh, within themselves. Peace of mind is one another no way of putting it. And yet when you seek out your truth, that also impacts people around you. And also there are people who can influence you. And I'd like to shift towards relationships a little bit here and how when you did this process yourself, Aaron, of seeking your truth, how did it impact your relationships? And also were there relationships that influenced you to make a change? And let's just talk about, because you mentioned in your book uh, several chapters about relationships, good and bad. So let's just talk about how finding your truth impacts relationships. Well, all relationships serve us. Um, Just like all of our experiences serve us. We tend to want to look back and say, oh, if I would have never done that, or I shouldn't have, and and all these different things. And that's another key point of the journey and, and of the book. It sounds contradictory but when you get it you'll get it um that um there's no accident many of us have heard that before we grow under duress we expand under stress it's true of everything from muscles to diamonds to every analogy you can think of that is the way to grow every influential um inspirational person you can think of they are such because they've been through so much and, and we're not just inspired because of what they've been through, because that's kind of sad sometimes. In their present form, they're hella inspiring. And then you come to find out, oh, crap, what they've been through. Like comedians, you name it, right? That seems to be the pattern. So I just want to make that point that um, it's not so much of a bad relationship, although it may seem so in the physical experience, there are things about it may suck um, to your experience. It's like discipline from your parents suck, but it actually serves you. So all of this is really serving us. Um, but an example of relationships that changed, in my case, by following my truth, well, as I mentioned, I was raised in a, a very controlling religious cult, if you will. I say cult because if you look up the definition, it'll match it. Uh, it's just one of those things. And um, the totalitarian form of government, if you will, where if you disagree at all, you lose everything. That's, that's kind of one of the basic formulas mm-hmm. of what makes a cult a cult. Right. Um, people have seen Scientology and Leah Remini, all that kind of stuff on TV, but it wasn't Scientology. Right. But anyway, um, so the point is, when I um, started to accept the things that have been in me since since a child, I mean, I remember being 12 years old back when I made a choice to get baptized into that religion. Um, I, I had all kinds of conflict with not only things that were taught, but um, with 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 um, uh, things that were over. Uh, I guess um, uh, articulated from the Bible or stress that that that, uh, that didn't jive with with what my soul knew God to be kind of thing or or all of us to be in terms of connection to each other and all that and at forty at thirty nine years old I think it was I I accepted my own internal conflict that's been there for so long and decided that I was not going to be one anymore. But that I loved everyone. I had nothing against the other people that were in the religion at all, because all of us end up where we are for our own personal journey. I just knew that that was not something that I could sleep well knowing that I'm a part of and the impact that the the actual organization has on people's lives and families and all that. And so where others might have also um, disagreed but never leave because they're afraid of losing family members and friends and all that, I, I... I couldn't sleep. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror knowing that I'm a part. And remember, I'm an empath. And so once I fully realized the magnitude of what I was in, despite the fact that I was born into it. So 
usually there's no way to awaken and realize what you're in because you're, you're just too far. Yeah. It's ingrained. Uh, it's a part of who you are. Yeah. It, it's too far ingrained. Right. So, right. you know, I made the decision. My wife was eight months pregnant. Um, and, and when this stuff just hit me of what it really was, I had to be out. And so I wrote a loving letter uh, whatever, to everyone I love, so to speak, made it available and let them know I respect them all, love them all deeply. I understand that they can't communicate with me because of their beliefs and they think it'll hurt God if they ever show me love or I got it all. And I just, and I, and I, and I left. So in that moment, um, I lost probably a couple thousand people across states and wherever I've lived and just a, a whole lifetime of friends and family. They've never met my children, just boom, gone. And, um, wow. and, and I, and I, re and that, uh, and I've never been happier. Right. It's like a lot of people say you can't lose parents and siblings and your best friends and, you know, pseudo big brothers and sisters and all that and still be happy. Can you, I mean, who does that? Well, it's, well, that's it, you. You you excluded in the toxic nature of some relationships and that are there, and that was a tough decision. But you said you're happier than ever. But have there been other relationships now that have been fulfilling to you, or have entered into your life that helped to support you in this uh, process of discovery that you've been on? Well, yeah, and the process is uh, has been very organic. So it wasn't a light bulb moment where where I. Um, decided to be a certain way and therefore it changed other relationships and dating and women and all that kind of thing. Um, but I will say that as I talk about in the book, some of the reasons that we stay in relationships, um, uh, for example, um, you know, in most cases when we detect that there's lack of um, compatibility in a relationship and it's a struggle, we stay for reasons associated with fear of starting over insecurity, attracting someone else. And sometimes even, uh, you know, what we think is love, we, we think I don't want to hurt this person. I yeah. can't leave them, you know, and what we don't realize is you can't really love anyone until you love yourself. And if you're not fully in it, they're not getting the kind of love that they could get from someone that is better aligned with them. Mm -hmm. So um, it really, it, you really are killing two birds with one stone by not yeah. addressing the things I, that you're missing. And so you have I to make adjustments. I think this goes right into the theme in your book of empathy and joy and seeking those as primary uh, uh, factors in life transformation. And I know you even say, talk about in your book about how uh, these are the factors that are help you be successful in your career. You, you say empathy can make you millions and not everybody would think that, but uh, say a bit about that, about how things like joy and empathy are factors in every aspect of success, whether you bid relationships or your career. That's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, Brad. I, I, I know you might have noticed, or actually I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, there's a lot of admonition coming at our young ones, especially young men, because we tend to be a lot more visually stimulated. Money, cars, women, whatever, oh. pick the category. And so all over Instagram, all over any social media, there are these guys that are telling men uh, of all ages, for that matter, how rich they can be. And here's the way to do it. And the general mantra has something to do with a few things. It's, uh, you know, basically eat nails, <laughs> get up super early, go to bed late, uh, don't take any shit from anybody, be a killer, 
while your friends are enjoying themselves, you got to grind it out, but then you'll get the spoils later on. Well, I mean, listen, the, the most valuable thing we all have unequivocally over everything, including love, is time. Because no love can exist without time to exert it, do it, right? Yeah, and that's where, that's where it, I mean, that's how the container, so to speak, that it comes in. You got to maintain, you got to nurture yeah. that, that element, yeah. Yes, and I mean, if you just, if that's all it's about, but you don't love what you do, and you don't do the things that are natural to what you are as a human, because we, we all are connected uh, on so many different levels. When we get bad treatment, there's a part of our soul that's asking for it. I know that sounds harsh and sounds, people go, well, how could that, I've been through it myself and I know the worst thing. We remember, we learn from this stuff too. And the other soul, the other human, we are energy first. So where you have a person, so I'm black, right? I've had a, a lot of friends in my life that have gone through a lot of terrible things associated with being black. I've had a couple, but nowhere near the gravity of some of my other friends. And it stays top of mind for them. And so when they, when they're in a situation, and it's not just color thing, whether you are an immigrant, whether you're overweight, whatever your insecurity is, when that's top of mind, others that are also of the disposition to inflict it are more likely to inflict it on you because you have an expectation of it. It's the old law of attraction, but it really is true. And so we tend to um, pull these things in. Well, anyway, going back to the, you know, this empathy thing, uh, I, I see all this stressing of, of these sort of characteristics. And I'm sitting there going, well, what's intriguing to me is um, I believe and I've experienced that if you, first of all, focus on the things that you legitimately enjoy doing before the outcome of the huge money that comes with it, number one, you're rich because every billionaire will give up all their billions for more time if they knew the day that they were going to die, they give it all away for a little sure. more time. So first of all, by doing what you love, you're rich first and foremost. And then by doing that, your vibration is higher. Your joy is higher, your energy and energy attracts its own kind. So you'd be surprised the kinds of doors that open and opportunities that come your way when you are not caught up in the rhetoric or the external binder of blindly just chasing money, just, just whoever, whoever wants to coach me, coach me, please. Or, you know, oh, that's how you make a bunch of fine. I'll just do it. You go down that path and it's the opposite effect. You're, yes. you're chasing your own tail. You don't really get there. The last thing I'll say on that, Brad, is this. One interesting seminal moment on this point is the gender reveal for our daughter uh, went viral about two years ago. <clears throat> and this was just in our backyard, just with cell phones. We didn't think nothing of it. The wife wanted to get me involved in what is usually a baby shower, just the girls and stuff. And so she had a girlfriend buy this fine powder in either blue or pink, like baby powder, that will be blow dried into the exhaust of my Lamborghini. And neither of us <laughs> would know what color, neither of us knew the color of this, of this powder. And we were all in the backyard. I go to start it, poof, out comes this uh, exhaust fart, <laughs> if you will, yeah, of, right. of dust, right? And when that happened, it goes mega viral. It goes like tens of millions on social, ends up on Bob Saget's ABC funny videos show, that kind of viral stuff. Right, right. And, and I'm getting inboxed by young men, mature men, accountants, every race, you name it. What should I do for a living? 
what do you recommend I do for a living? Or because they see some trapping, they see a house and some cars, and they're like, well, wh what can you tell me? And I'm thinking, that I'm, and I'm going, wow, we are we're so ass backwards, so to speak. We're so backwards in thinking that just get the wealth and the money comes. And I've had to advise a lot of even parents who are asking what their child should major in in college because I'm young-ish and I'm successful. And I go, right, right. Wouldn't wouldn't you rather that that child love what they do with their time more than just have the money? So why don't we focus on the essence of the child, and then back into careers that they would just love? And oh, by the way, the money would follow as well. Sure. So, well, there's plenty of evidence, uh, Aaron, and you're sharing it yourself here. There's plenty, plenty, plenty of evidence of people who have a lot going on, uh, money-wise and so on, and stuff, things, and are incredibly unhappy and end up, in some cases, you know, hurting themselves or taking their life yes. or, you know, there's all kinds of stories about that. And, and uh, you know, there's the classic thing is someone who wins the lottery and, you know, goes nuts and uh, many of those people end up bankrupt, right. you know, not too long, you know, just a year or two later. And so, a part of this has to do with in how we apply joy and empathy to our life. And to kind of bring our conversation around to full circle here, what do you think are just two or three disciplines or habits or practices that you have, which help you keep on track with empathy and joy in order to have uh, this fulfillment that you have sought this, as you say, your journey to your within. It's an interesting question. I, I'm not very linear um, in, in terms of um, strong regimented. Um, I, I guess the better way to say that is I'm very fluid, but let me uh -huh. try and put that into a couple of things. When it comes to something you're going to do, uh, especially when it comes to things like career, for example, or a relationship, um, does this make me happy on the inside does this fulfill me first question second thing is how does it help someone else especially especially when it comes to a job or career how am i helping the planet so to speak how am i raising someone else's vibration now, even when it's you know you may think it's a simple job you'd be surprised how many of us are artists and don't know it mm. or how many of us need to be artists but, but won't accept it because they don't see some tangible output of it. In the book, I describe an artist as anyone that really feels great about other people's joy and happiness. So some may do it via painting. You know, we always think of the cliche ways, painting, singing, acting, performing, et cetera. But no, if you're, it doesn't matter whether you, you create anything. Uh, if, you're, if you enjoy the feeling that others get as a result of something you're doing, which quite frankly, that's in the nature of all of us. It's just been more suppressed yeah. in some of us than others. So um, then, then you're an artist. Sorry, go, go ahead and finish your thought. Artist, something about artist. Yeah, no, I, I was just saying, um, tap into your artistry, mm -hmm. meaning be honest about what makes you feel really good inside. And then, and then either as part of that or completely separate from that, what are the things that you like to see others smile about and, yeah. and should you not be doing something in that capacity so what i was going to reflect with you on that one was that that to be a contributor to the greater good doesn't necessarily uh, uh always mean you know the bottom line of the ledger sheet it has to do with the you know, feelings and emotions and that 
that, you know, that uh, tingle in the spine, whatever it would be that you have helped to create in the world. And that's a, that's an yes. awesome thing. Yeah, Brian, I want to add something to that because there are people listening to your show that are also thinking, yeah, but you got to make money. That sounds a little too woo woo. Let me just apply that. Yes, Even in, but, in the, where I was, I was in software. I mentioned empathy can make you millions. Why was I always, the top producer. I mean, I've seven figures at IBM. That's usually only the senior executives that do that, not a salesperson. I mean, and before that, hundreds of thousands of dollars, half a million dollars at 23 years old, selling software. How is that helping? How is that artistry? Well, in the process, I am talking to people from your call center agent to the CEO. And hundreds or thousands may end up using something that I sell them. These are three, two, three, five million dollar software applications. I'm thinking about the day-to-day experience of the users, the people that are going to do it. I, mm-hmm. I get to know them. I understand how, and I'm excited about the drudgery that they do now and how the day is going to feel so much easier afterward. And that, I get off on that. And then, of course, the senior executives, they care about the money and the performance. So I've got the ROI stuff there, too. But in, in every in – the book goes into this. There are ways to apply your, your joy, your passions, the things that naturally feel great to you, your aptitudes, directly to things that contribute elsewhere. So you converge the two, and huge money almost always follows. It's like a law of the universe. So don't yes. – let's not get it twisted that you are either a broke – loving woo-woo person or, or you're this uh, greedy, very physical person who just knows how to make money. I've integrated the two and we all have that capacity. And we do. And your book here is going to help us uh, do just that unbound journey to your within. Uh, Aaron McCormick is our author. Yes. How awesome was it to have Aaron McCormick on our podcast episode here on Beyond Adversity here uh, today. Uh, he's spoken to my life. He hope he's spoken to yours about having some breakthroughs and have, having to take some bold action in order to do that. You heard him talk about how he was constrained in several things in his life and he had to go deep within himself to take the bold action and kind of that scary place to go to search within himself in order to deal with internal conflict and to uh, navigate his self-identity and purpose. He had to deal with a long-standing uh, religious uh, values which are imposed on him, uh, all kinds of things that he had to deal with. My encouragement to you is to take what you learned from him today and to take your own bold action to break free from whatever it is you need to do. Many of us, if we get stuck in adversity, get stuck there. And we have to be take the initiative to break out. We have to take bold action. And Aaron gives us so many hints and ways to do that. Sometimes we're constrained by toxic relationships or things that can constrain us. And we've got to take action and we need help as well. Toxic relationships don't help us so much, but helpful, loving, kind relationships do. And count on those folks there to be helpful to you. These are some of the things I took away from our conversation with Aaron. I hope that you will too. You can always find more about him at his website, AaronMcCormick.com. And the name of his book is Unbounded Journey to Your Within. 
My name is Dr. Brad Miller, and here at Beyond Adversity, we're here to be helpful to you. You can always go to drbradmiller.com and find lots of back episodes of Beyond Adversity and our free resource for you there. It's the four-minute way to frame your day for success. Our purpose is to help you navigate adverse conditions in your life, death in the family, depression, divorce perhaps, maybe you're in debt, Uh, maybe this COVID crisis has got you down. We can help you through teaching and leadership and through the great guests we bring on here beyond adversity to help you navigate these things and to come out to a better place of peace, prosperity, and purpose. We're here to be helpful. So we hope you'll tune in to us next time on Beyond Adversity. We'll have another great guest who will speak deep into your life and help you to get beyond adversity. So till next time, friends, this is Dr. Brad Miller. I want to encourage you to keep your promises because there's power in a promise kept. <laughs>